Father, let tonight be a fierce night for you. Let us be fierce for you. May your swift sword come into this room and cleave evil or anything of temptation that any of us have faced. And let the Holy Spirit be here all night long, dear Jesus. Help us to honor you. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right. Um, so, for the, so in the last two weeks, we've spent um, some time in Romans chapter seven, and uh, part of what we did, I think, two weeks ago, is I handed this part out of Romans chapter seven at the very end of it, um, which. I, you know, I asked everyone, hey, can you guys relate? And it's where it says... I got mine. Yeah, so it says, good. So it says, it's a part of Romans that says, for I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is not good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it's in living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh... For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me, for in my inner self I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war, against the law of my mind, and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? As we talked about, this passage um, has had a lot of controversy within the church, particularly since, I'd say, the Reformation. And with the question of many of us were taught or have heard that what Paul is describing here is what it's like currently to be a Christian. That we are at war with this. All right. And um, Glenn um, and Scott, who just sent me from the <laughs> MacArthur Study Bible, and Glenn from Andrew Murray, Murray um, are, are in that camp where they see this as being Paul describing himself currently as a Christian. Um, And I think I said, but what's interesting is that really for the first 500 years of the church, before Augustine, the church unanimously saw this as Paul describing what it was like to be under the law, not what it's like being a Christian. Or not a description of someone who's a Christian, but really someone who is under the law, which Paul was before he met Christ. And so Augustine originally believed that too, but he, in, as he himself, fell into very, very serious um, sexual sin um, and was writing um, someone else, Pelagius, I think we call him. Um, Augustine sort of changed his mind and read this, because I think a lot of us, we read this and we go, yeah, I can relate. 
In fact, when I asked you guys and we had we read this, a lot of you said, totally, that's how I feel as a Christian. God saved a wretch like me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's so ingrained <laughs> yes, within <laughs> sort of the conservative evangelical church. Um, and yet, it's interesting that the church unanimously never saw it that way for the first 500 years. And it was really only through Augustine and then when Luther came with the Reformation, he also, through his um, struggle... He also saw this as Paul describing what a Christian is. However, um, what has happened really in the last quite a few, well, quite a few years is that today when you take a look at a lot of the conservative evangelical commentators and looking at this passage and not trying to read into it, but just looking at it in the context of what Paul is really trying to talk about, have pretty much come to the conclusion then no, Paul is not describing here what the life is like as a Christian, but what it was like under the law. And Paul uses the I form to try to get that idea about as to how things really were under the law. And so I'm not going to try to say I know the answer to that debate. Is it or is it not? <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. He just sent me MacArthur's study Bible. I'll give you my opinion. MacArthur almost argues against himself when I read the section on 14 through 25, he almost, it's like he, he comes into the text it, yeah. already thinking that this is a Christian and then tries to justify it. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to go through that. So we can have different opinions about it. However, why couldn't it just be him expressing how it is that he f- feels and, w- and what he battles with? I mean, because Because we're going to see why. Because what what happens here is what Paul's describing here is something that Paul no longer describes himself as or describes a Christian as. All right, that's what we're going to start seeing tonight. So that's why I told all of you at the time, if you wanted to, I said, whether you think this is what it's like being a Christian or whether you think this is a description of Paul before being a Christian and under the law, I don't think any of us, we would love to be even free of this, okay? We, and so I said, take it and go like this. <laughs> we don't want to be this way anymore. Wretched man that I am, all right? And so I said, do this, and we put it in an envelope. And so, you know, if I say that, and we do that, then the question that should come to mind is, what is going to replace this? Holy Spirit. Yes. What replaces this? And that's what we're going to look at tonight, because Paul does that. In Romans 8, he starts out, therefore, <laughs> he starts out to say, this is how it was under the law, but now something has changed. All right. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. What has changed? What, if this isn't really supposed to be true anymore? and I'm not under the law, then what does the Christian life look like? How do we then live? Um, and what's interesting is a lot of people who have argued for this being the life of a Christian have done a very, <laughs> I'll make a comment, have done a pretty weak job at going into chapter 8 and trying to describe and understand what Paul's talking about, what the life of a Christian should look like. 
Um, and that's what we're going to spend our time with, is to look at that today. So, all right? Is the short version of that, the devil made me do it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it can be. And that's not to say that sometimes we do not experience this and are frustrated with it. But we, but it's been so ingrained in us that we almost think like this is, this is okay and this is how we should feel. I'm going to say, Paul's trying to say, you can be free of this. There's a freedom to say, take it, put it in here. Okay, it doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with sin, but when we do, there's something else. All right, so that's my answer. Yeah. Oh, so um, I listened to the podcast, and I remember when we ripped up those pieces of paper. Um, so I guess I just want to make clear that so you weren't saying that chapter 7 is how what Paul was like then and Paul was like in chapter 8 that's not what you were saying right I'm not saying what I thought for some reason that you were saying that Paul this is what Paul thought a Christian was in 7 but Mm -hmm. when he finds out that it's the spirit it's 8 you weren't saying that okay so this yeah so let me summarize if you guys want to open up let's open up to um, page 26 and why don't we go around and introduce ourselves? Um, I don't know who's next. How are you doing? Hi. What's I'm, your name? My name's Ethan. I'm friends with Jordan and Caleb. Awesome, Ethan. Well, welcome. Thank you. Glad, glad you're here. Glad you can make it. That's yours. So you get to keep that. I appreciate it. Um, since Ethan's new, why don't we just go around? You don't have to. We're not going to give you a test, and you have to remember people's names. I'm still working on it. <laughs> so um, let's just go around and introduce ourselves just by name real quick. So... This is my friend Gil. <laughs> Scott, Eric, Mike, Peter, Ken, David, you know, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, Dale. Just say your name. <laughs> be, be an adult. Orion, <laughs> Jim. Stop being a child. Glenn, Tom, Caleb, and Greg. Welcome. Glad you're here. Um, and just so you know. Um, don't be intimidated by any of us. Uh, if you have any questions, every question can go. You can just speak up. If you worry about that, just ask Ken because he he he's had a lot of practice and um, <laughs> he is he is our Nicodemus. Doctor um, so, Nicodemus. <laughs> so I love it because it creates. I mean, those are the things that create the discussion that we all learn from. Yeah. Is when we ask a question. So you Greg, welcome to answer any time. Greg, yeah, yes. can, before you start, mm-hmm. this is the part I'm having trouble with, so we can just nail it oh, right so now and get yes. over with it. So, in Acts, uh, where am I at? In Acts 13, uh, 18, in AD, written in AD 46, uh-huh. Paul says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And this is the part right here on 30, verse 39. Through him, every, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you will not be able to obtain under the law of Moses. Isn't he basically, Amen. Isn't he, isn't he basically saying the same thing as, yes. as yeah. eight? Yes. 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 That's right. So that's what I got confused about when you said Paul's writing this epistle on, about he's different from seven to eight. Well, he already was revolutionary. 11 years ago, right? Right, right. But what Paul's doing in 7, so let me just explain just real quick, and then we'll move into 8. So if everyone looks at um, page 26, in 
chapter 7, Paul describes, and this is the argument, too, for why Paul is not talking about life as a Christian in the rest of 7. Because in verse 5, he says, he's verse 5 and 6, in verse 5 he's describing what he's now going to talk about in 7 through the end of chapter 7. And in verse 6, he's then going to go into what we're going to look at in chapter 8. So Paul already is sort of telling us how he's going to lay out this passage. So in verse 5, he says, For when we were in the flesh, looking back, we're past tense. The sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. That's exactly what Paul is describing in verses 7 through the end of chapter 7, which is through 725. Then, what we're going to look at tonight is not what it was, but what it is now, where he says, but now we have received, but now, so something's changed, but now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the old letter of the law. Paul is drawing a very stark contrast between, this is what life was under the law before Christ, and now... Hallelujah. This is what life looks like in Christ. Okay. And one of the other big hints to that is notice there are two things not talked about in that whole passage at the end of 7 that I read. Two things. Christ and the and the Spirit. And the Spirit. It's mentioned <laughs> once. Yeah. Okay. We're going to see a stark contrast with that in, in verse so I have two questions. Yes. So the first question is, does it matter... What the context of, of chapter 7, if Paul's speaking about himself or uh-huh. Christians in general. And two, was there a specific issue going on with the church in Rome, which is why he has that perspective in chapter 7? Yeah, so take the last question first. The reason why he's talking about this is definitely the church in Rome had this issue, because you have a mix of Gentiles and Jews coming together. And so Paul is talking to both audience. That's what really Romans is all about. Romans is is the Romans is we're on the same boat. Yeah, Romans right. <laughs> but Romans is talking about two people groups, two 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 people groups. It's like taking this room and dividing it and saying, well, half of you are Jews who've been under the law and happy to follow the law, and half of you are Gentiles who don't. And Paul's saying now. I'm going to talk about how both of I might need to talk to both those groups and talk about how, and you just said it, how now, ultimately, which is what we're going to hit now, is that in Christ, guess what? There's no more two groups. Now we're going to become one group. Uh, but that means for all you over here who are so into the law <laughs> and still wanting to be under the law, which all of us still sort of try to do that, um, you're not under the law anymore. Um, so, does it matter in verse in chapter seven? In some ways, what matters is really what we're doing eight. <laughs> I guess is a good way to put it, because there's always going to be different opinions. Okay, um, and we're all open here to having different opinions on this. Um, when when, when so. you say under the law, mm-hmm. does that mean under the Ten Commandments or under the uh, under the way the um, Pharisees used the Ten Commandments to uh, make life more complicated. Very good question. When I say under the law, I'm actually meaning the Torah. I'm meaning the Ten Commandments okay. and all the laws of Moses. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good okay. question. All right. Who? Okay. Here we go. We're done with seven. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who would like to read eight one through seventeen? All right. So um, before you read it, so here's what I want you to do. As we're reading, so as we're reading this eight one through um, seventeen, I want you to just as as you're hearing it, I want you to think about what what are you learning in here, and just hearing this for the maybe for the first time, or maybe you've read it before. Is there anything that sort of strikes you, and you go, "Wow, I didn't know that," or "I didn't see that before," or "Wow, I have more questions about that." What is it that sort of, you know, does that in here um, as, as we read it? Okay, so go for it. The life-giving spirit. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could do not, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, in the, on the, set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Keep going. 12 through 17. 17 to the end. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. All right, so, just hearing that, David, did you, were, you, I don't know if you raised your hand, no, no, no okay, okay. <laughs> all right, I, I uh -huh. think that the elephant in the room here is the very first sentence. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Everybody sins. This is the only way that sins are forgiven 
to where you can enter into a new life. Everything else, there's a price to pay for being a sinner. And this is, this is brand new thinking because if I, my sins have been forgiven, then I'm free to try and start a new life. A, a new life away from the sin nature that I come with. And so this is the ticket to ride. This, this is, this changes everything because without the forgiveness, I'm condemned. I'm just condemned forever. So what a great opportunity this is. And I'm going to put you in a pulpit, Aaron. <laughs> no, and then it puts, it puts sin in perspective on how it locks me in a prison and, and death is the consummation of living a life in the flesh, which is the only thing that we knew prior to getting this good word. And the fact that he sends his son in the image of flesh is a wonderful metaphor because he demonstrates that you can do this and not be a sinner. So he not only gives us a ticket to ride, but he gives us an example of, of what we're shooting for. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, really well put. But that doesn't give us permission to sin. No, no. Oh, no. In fact, it does just the opposite. It, it tells, tells us we no longer need to sin because those sins have been forgiven and we now have that grace through Christ. It gives you the willingness well, you, to battle sin you in now, your life. Yeah. And you now have the freedom to not sin. Before, when you were under sin and under the law, you were a wretched man. You could not not sin. Now, we have the power to not sin. And we are no longer under that condemnation. And we will find out Paul, the famous verse where Paul says... Well, let's sin that much more. And Paul says, absolutely not. Okay. And You've been given back. this gift, so grab that gift and go for it. You don't need to sin anymore. Not to say we're not going to, but we now have that forgiveness and we have freedom that we don't need to sin anymore. So. And going back to our lessons in John, yeah, the Holy Spirit has been sent as a helper to help us right. complete the mission. Ken, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say the Spirit's mentioned 15 times. Yeah. In that, in those. Very good. In that um, verse you just read. Uh huh. Um, <clears throat> so, the the law was was what, what it was powerless to do, um, and weaken weaken our sinful nature. Now the Spirit um, takes over. Mm -hmm. That's the way. It, I, I listened to your podcast and I was really impressed by how each and one, every one of you understood. At first, you were trying to understand law and sin, and I, I, was, I was hiking and I got it. It's cool. Thank you for that. All right, other comments? I think it's really black and white. You can't have a foot in one camp and a foot in the other camp at the same time. Okay. You just can't do it. Mm hmm. I think it's interesting that, um, again, we've got hindsight, and 
if the Pharisees are reading, who's this Paul guy, you know, he's almost authoritative in what he's saying, it's like, he's almost like, like what Christ was, was saying, it's like, who gives this Paul guy the authority to say that you're going to live forever and blah, 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 all the stuff that he says in this. My point about it is, is his, his task was, seemed really hard to do, is to transform and make a church out of this and, you know, without being, um, you know, characterized as a, as a, a fraud or some kind of charlatan. So just, that's what I was thinking when I was re- hearing this, that he's, he's saying a lot of things that Christ said in his teachings, and I could see the Pharisees just kind of going, this guy's just another kook, you know? So my point being is, is he, had a, he has a big task at hand to try, yes. to try to convince a lot of people with... Yeah. I, I never thought of it before, but that you, you said... Um, charged to make a church out of it. And that certainly was what he was doing, isn't it? He was given the job of pulling all these people together. The Gentiles and the Jews and the and, uh, and those who were just learning. What a monumental task. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but also he had help too. Mm-hmm. I I think in 32 AD is when um, when Peter talked at the Pentecost. There was people from Rome that came to that. When they talk about bringing the Holy Spirit to Rome at that time, but when when Paul was writing from Ephesus, um, that was kind of the hub of Asia Minor, and so people are like dropping in all over the place. And he's talking and getting excited, and he has Priscilla and Aquila as uh, tent maker friends and so he he kind of has like a setup already I think like he's already where you said <clears throat> monumental I look at it more like revolutionary like he's going I'm like Greg comes in here and he excites me and I walk out of the room and get excited about telling somebody else like he's already going to go from Chicago to New York like in his, New York's already set up for him and Rome's the capital Right? I mean, don't you feel like that he, the 29 people were already in the living room waiting for him before he got to Rome in, in 60 AD? Whatever, the people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had a few people, right? And well, Jews, and, and they were Jews. Right. What's fascinating is Romans 16 is something that you don't see in any other of his epistles. He mentions a person or two in some of his other writings. Romans 16, when we mm-hmm. get to it, Pretty much the, all of Romans 16 is him giving credit to all these people who are part and have been part of helping him do this. He's not been doing it alone. Half of them, about it's half the of them were women. At the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the credits at the yeah. end. Half of them were women too, which is which is that in that environment for him to do that. I mean, Priscilla is the one who knew so much about Paul and his teaching and sat under him that she was the one given the responsibility for taking this letter of Romans and taking it personally to the Roman church. Just to give you a sense of that, that means she is given the authority to take this message there, which also means that she is the one that's going to have to answer their questions as they read this letter, and is given the authority to do that. So someone who delivers a letter isn't just like, here it is, see it, like a mailman. 
it's like the person delivers it, but they're also there to help people answer and stuff. So it's just, he had a whole lot of people helping him. So, okay, other thoughts, questions, what do you see in here? Are things that jumped up out at you, or you just go, what? Um, um, yes, Ethan. Uh, I don't know too much about the history or anything, but one message that comes across to me is like um, the power of forgiveness, and uh, you dedicate yourself to this higher cause, mm -hmm. um, you can achieve salvation, which is I find to be a really powerful message, because mm -hmm. a lot of people who do sin, you can get caught in a spiral of like, oh, I can't even forgive myself. But if you learn to accept this message, it can help you find the light. You know? yeah. Yeah. All right, others, before you go, Eric, I just want to get others who haven't, a lot of you haven't made comments yet, thoughts, anything that distracts you in here, what you wonder about, something different. Well, it sounds like um, when I go back to 7, 4, 3, 6, there's one law, mm -hmm. and now he's giving us a new law. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. This law of the spirit of life in Christ to deliver you from the previous law mm -hmm. of sin and death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just, I'm just taking that first uh -huh. piece of it. Um, and I did a little study on that, and it said, because he uses the spirit many times, but he uses it in these weird phrases. In the whole thing. Okay. Like, spirit of life, according to the spirit, spirit of God, spirit of Christ. <laughs> so his spirit, spirit of him, by his spirit, spirit of adoption, you know, all these mm -hmm. smart little mm -hmm. stuff. But when it says spirit of life, he says that um, Jesus is referring to a new, this is an interesting language, operational principle of life. Yes, uh-huh. And, um, and freedom that the Holy Spirit brings in contrast to sin and death, the law of sin. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just saying <laughs> little bite-sized pieces, but like one through four is, is really speaking to me in that way, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So what I like about what you said about understanding it church fathers did, or Nicene, all those guys back then, is, um, I, I know this might be a weird word, but there was no victory in, in seven. Yeah, right. I know that's a weird word, man. No, but that's a, no, that's a, actually, that's a good word. word well, there's, there's no freedom. There's no, no freedom, victory. no victory, no, right. no, nothing to say that we had, we can conquer this new thing, or conquer this sin and death by this new spirit of the law. Yeah. In Jesus Christ. And so that's encouraging to me mm -hmm. that I don't have to live in seven where I think I think a lot of us might live. <laughs> I think a lot of us. I, 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 I'll, I I'll just say I live. I'll, yes. I won't speak uh -huh. to you guys, but uh -huh. this is where I felt like there I'm fighting I'm holding up this wall all the time of sin. Mm -hmm. And if I just take my hands away, the spirit of the love of Christ holds it up, not me holding it. And mm -hmm. I think that's where we've, I fall, I could fall into sin because I don't want to hold the wall up anymore. 
because they have all this effort that I'm doing. I know there's this persevering and all that, but it, it feels like I'm adding something extra to it, like this extra burden to um, when I feel like I'm trying to resist sin and, or abide by the a religious type of mindset, I guess. You know, if you guys remember, those of you who were here last, I was last week, the week before, um, Tom Sice, and I thought he just he just nailed the description. Yeah. He said, Paul sounds schizophrenic. You know, he was referring to the last part of 7 where it says, with my mind on myself, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of the sin. So it's like the schizophrenic, yeah. I, I just know what to do. It was funny because I was um, reading a commentary by a, a pretty well-known commentator named Long Actor on this, and and he actually said the same things that Paul's. That it's before Christ, before the Spirit, we have a schizophrenic life. Like I just, I, I, I try to do this, but I can't, and oh, yeah. I want to do it, but I can't, and it just you feel schizophrenic. <laughs> that was a good description. Um, all right, others. What else do you see in here? Yeah, the, a couple of thoughts on seventeen. Um, Verse 17? Yeah, uh -huh. verse 17. I think the idea of uh, being uh, co-heir hmm. with Christ is one of the coolest things, I think, in the scripture. Yeah. Like, what that means just for our ultimate, you know, future reality uh -huh. for eternity. A co-heir with Christ. And then in, a, in another verse it says, well, since God gave us Christ... How will he not with him give us all things, right? And this is all things. And if you think about, well, what's the inheritance of God? What what does God have to give us, like as an inheritance? Mm -hmm. And it's it's all things, like literally all the God, like all good things God has to give us as an inheritance, mm -hmm. and we are co heirs with Christ. It's not like it's it's like we're co-heirs with Christ. That's pretty it's great. So what are the all things? Yeah. I like to think about oh, what are some of these all things? Yeah. And what are some of these things that we're going to inherit? Because that's that's uh, that's pretty rich. Mm -hmm. It's like, I like to think about stuff like that. Um, I wrote a paper one time about heaven and you know, just thinking through what, what heaven can be like and what what's, you know, yeah. Um, and then on like Paul goes into, if indeed we suffer with him. And when we read through that, I had a flash, like a flash thought, like, do I suffer? Like, do I suffer? Uh, is it required to suffer? Am I going to suffer? You know, like, when am I going to suffer? Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> you're going to. Did I suffer? What, what was it when I was suffering? Uh, you know, all these different thoughts on suffering. What kind of those two juxtaposed promises that are, you know, the, the inheritance is so amazing. I mean, it's just it's such a simple, like, saying co-heirs with, like, such a simple thing, but if you really think through, okay, what could that possibly be? Yeah. Well, thinking and, about and, it from this perspective of, like, inheritance in our world and what that means, we can kind of understand, like, oh, you're, you've got an inheritance coming to you, and yeah. you're going to get this thing, but the delta between that... And all yeah. things is yeah. that's a pretty big delta. Right. Like if you are a co-heir, you 
stand to inherit all things. Yeah, so so where my mind goes, just to let you guys know, is where my mind goes is, what are the communicable attributes of God? So a communicable attribute of God is something that is some, some, some part of nature that God has that we could possibly have, right? He could give us this ability. There's certain things that are, that are like, only God could possibly have these things. Like, only God could possibly be eternal, and only God... But there, there are a lot of things that I think God can give us the ability to do, these, these uh, communicable attributes in heaven, like the ability to create ex nihilo, right? Like, create the ability to create out of nothing. Like, um, now we have so many, we have a lot of artists in the room, and you're able to paint these landscapes, and you're able to paint, like, beautiful flowers or sceneries, but imagine, like, creating a flower, or imagine creating a scent, or something like that. You know, if we have this ability, this limited ability, but God, if he's going to give us all things, this communicable attributes, I think, are included in that, which would be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, what that means, obviously, everything within the will of God, we won't be outside of God's will for anything, but, yeah. Um, I would suggest that the suffering, since we're in the world, is giving up the fun of the sin nature. <laughs> because I don't know. Because I don't want to give this but, up because but, this is juicy most, here. But most sin leads to suffering. Of like, course, yeah. of course. You know, I, I heard these guys. I was at like Molin, right? Molin, the little French place down the street. Oh yeah. And I was overhearing these guys. I really should have shared the gospel with them, but they were talking about how glad they were to be out of, like, prostitution and drugs or something. There was these guys, like, oh, I'm, you know, sober, and I'm so glad we're not with prostitutes anymore. And, like, they were just talking about wow. these things and just, like, wow, like, like the darkness and the heaviness of it, but they didn't have the Lord. Huh. But they were just so happy to huh. kind of, like, be out of that. Who knows? Those things have what their own consequences, whether you're a believer but it's or a like, believer. No, I mean, the reality of that is not, you know, it's not the glorified version that we're sold in culture. You know, that in earshot of just like, yeah, they were just <laughs> next to me and they were just trying to, it's a pretty juicy like, conversation. Oh, wow. <laughs> but they were older guys, they were like, I don't know, in their 50s, maybe. Oh, old guys, oh, older guys, yeah, older guys, well, no, yeah. older, <laughs> I said older, older than me, older than me, let's see what he's got for here. That's so funny. What what do you think about that? Eric, what do you think about that? Oh, you. The first time I realized. (laughs) 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 We're still alive, you know, kind of. (laughs) We'll talk about that after your first colonoscopy. I heard this. I was sitting on the beach, and this little kid said, Mr., what time is it? And then there's a break. And then, Mister, what time is it? I just sat there looking at the water because I wasn't thinking about him talking to me. But uh, I was could twi- possibly be calling you, Mister. I was 22. Oh, you're 22. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and when he came around and stood right in front of me and said, Mister, I about slapped. He's trying to be respectful. <laughs> I got a new one this week, though. Guy said. It's weird to be the same age as old people. <laughs> it's weird to be the same age as old people. 
Just just for your information, between Eric and Dale and I were 243 years old. <laughs> but Eric and I have next month we have yeah, a uh, birthday right next right next to one another. So and you guys are going on my high Sierra uh, hike this year. Too. Oh yeah, the uh, yeah, right. moon's made out of green cheese. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, David, you were. Yeah, we're talking a lot about suffering no. and stuff like that. So I Google what was the mindset of Romans eight? And this is uh-huh. what it says. That's interesting. What you googled? What was the mindset, mindset of Romans? Actually, use that language mindset. That says the mind governed by the flesh is death. Yes. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Mm-hmm. So how do you get suffering out of life and peace? Well, we're going to see that that because we are given, we're in Christ, and we're and the Spirit's there to also help us to become more like Christ. Yeah. What we forget. We don't is stay when, there. when we say what to be more like Christ, we forget what Christ was like, yeah. which is how much he suffered ultimately for us, on behalf of us, for us. Does it, so that's yes. Doesn't it also say like Matthew, like, pick up your cross and follow me? Yes, exactly. Right. It so implies suffering. Right. Right. So it uh, kind of bookends verse, uh-huh. the first verse and the last verse that we read. The first verse, therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus, and then in verse seventeen, all, and if oh. children, so if oh. you declare Jesus as Lord, you are right. then an heir. Huh. I like um, that. And yeah. the, and I think the word heir did not fall on deaf ears with the Jewish crowd, because mm-hmm. um, they would interpret that as being everybody's a firstborn under Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that link. That's, yeah, I just saw that. In fact, if is in there but yeah. twice. If children, heirs, also heirs yeah. of God, yeah. and fill heirs with Christ. If, indeed, we suffer with him, so right. that we may be glorified with him. We need to act more like co-heirs. You know what I mean? Like, true, yeah. Like, true story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm really yeah. good at like, that. We need to own that. If like We are co-heirs. Like, what, is, what does that mean to operate and live yeah. daily with that mindset of being a co-heir? Really good question. Yeah. That's a terrific way of putting it in and something to strive for, to look at. Yeah. Can I pull this together? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I really really got into this today. I think verse 3 is a very, very important verse. Mm -hmm. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. So the Israelites, Israelites wanted the law, and they were given the law, but because of sin, they couldn't abide by the the law. Right. And so that shows the power of the sin. But what this introduces is the concept of being in the world, but not of the world. So how do you do that? And, and that's the walk of the Christian. Uh-huh. So with your indulgence, I want to add a little extra fluff to this. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, go, go So go um, this is a book that I, I got in England. It's called Finding Sanctuary, and um, it's written by a monk in a monastery talking basically about how to find a place of sanctuary in your own life despite the bombardment of all the excess information and the distractions. How, how do I get centered? How do I, and there's a process that he goes through. 
but the, the, I'm reading it all over again, and, and the most salient thing that really hit me, what I think is apropos here is, I'm just going to read you, um, <clears throat> the signs are everywhere that the leaders of the consumer producer society are themselves aware of this, of many of society's corrosive effects. They now see that virtue enables a person to protect and foster all that is best in their lives, both their personal lives and their professional lives. Virtue enables people to work with conviction for the good of others. It prevents the vices sweeping us away into a busy world of chasing corrupt fantasies. It says, <clears throat> if we, then if we see virtue as simply the right way to leave, to live, no matter what the cost, then virtue becomes sacred. Virtue is the door into the sacred sanctuary because virtue is not a consumer product. It is not just a refuge from our anxieties, nor a pause from busy life, nor something we can purchase in order to relieve the symptoms of modern life. Virtue is the recognition of the sacred in daily life. As we open the door of virtue in our personal and working lives, we will open the way into a sanctuary of peace for ourselves and for others, where I'm able to lead a unified life with the same values at home and at work, a life that is transparent and has nothing to hide. That's true freedom. That's really true freedom. And so it's being in the world, but not of the world. And, and it's those ethical values are what help you do it. I, I like that uh, contrast of virtue versus vice. I, I spent some time in the world of building technology companies, and you know there are many venture capitalists who really, when they're looking at consumer businesses, look specifically for vice, you know, to put money behind it in terms of you know, things like Facebook and has a, these addictive qualities and things oh, like that. Huh. Um, but it is this chasing of a corrupt fantasy that you. I mean, that could be so applied to, you know, this world of, of consumerism. But I do think, um, you know, as, as co-heirs with Christ, we really have, um, you know, an onus on us to bring virtue into any sphere where we have influence to build God's kingdom with virtue. But that runs so contrary to the way that the world works today. Exactly. Exactly. It is so contrary. And, um, you know, and I, and I do think that a lot of Christians, like, sit on, you know, two, two sides of that, right? Um, and rather than seeing their, you know, their state of being a co-heir and, and their faith as an advantage to really think differently, Right in terms of how you build products and services and deliver them, um, you know it's very easy to sell out into these corporate machines that have a set of values that march, you know, towards the drum of the world. Um, but anyway, I, I I think I mean it's just fascinating this notion of virtue and vice, and there's just so much more money being put behind vice than there is behind virtue. 
because it's 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 more proven to you know get people involved and people will pay for it and all that like it's a little harder than possible i think to think about you know putting virtue behind you know the businesses that we build so in verse in chapter 8 what would you say is the yeah go ahead if you were going to put things on a scale 1 to 10 where would you put virtue versus vice in terms of today, the division? Yeah, school, you know, scale it's, one to two. It's, it's, it's 90% vice-driven, maybe 10% virtue-driven. Hasn't that always been that way? The vice? <laughs> it, what's that? I said, could you substitute yeah, vanity yeah. for vice? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I think it's, could you, you know, substitute what? Vanity for vice. Yeah, okay. Vice seems to be a little bit more... Uh, yeah, more purposeful <laughs> of... Well, vice is, is out of like the seven deadly sins. Correct. And, yeah. So, but so is vanity, isn't it? Vanity is a, a, probably a subcomponent of vice. But vanity is the tail wagging the dog because right. the introduction to this was how consumerism, there's an unending chain of new things that everybody just has to have. And so you work harder and harder to get the money to have the new thing that's coming, and it's kind of like a, and it's vanity that if I have it, then I can be accepted because everybody else is buying a Tesla, right. so I better I buy a Tesla. And then, and then yeah. there's little Aldous Huxley on Vanity yes. seems less purposeful or less. Uh, people don't do it more deliberately as like a vice. I, I, I'm, I'm searching here, but it just seems like. Vanity, which is Facebook and all this stuff, and the you know, uh, the, the the decay of the decadence that, that we're in. It just seems that that's you know a, a more stupid, less calculated way of saying it than vice. Vice is like just bad. I don't know. Yeah, I think you spend <laughs> if you spend enough time looking right. at it, it is really bad. So in chapter eight here that we just read, what is the term Paul? This is a really good discussion that you're bringing up because what is what's the term Paul would use for what you guys are calling vice? What is the term he's using in here for that? Flesh, flesh sin, and death. Sin, but loss sin. and death. But what sin. else? Flesh, 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 flesh. So flesh. Yeah. Flesh. Okay. Right so if you, you guys just gave a really good definition of what flesh is. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what Paul contrasts so flesh much in chapter eight here. I want to hear what you have to say. So you know. I'm waiting for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> so much of my life is so counter to that that I just it wiggles me when you say ninety percent this. I come from a background. I was a Boy Cub Scout at seven. Yeah. So I went through that whole program. Then I became a lifeguard. And then I became a teacher. And I have seen in my own life so much where people see a car stopped alongside the road. So you pull over and say, are, are you okay? Uh, just all kind of... Uh, Don't do that today, though. I lost a house in 78 due to a landslide. Mm -hmm. This whole town came to my aid. Wow. I don't mean a little bit. I, I went on television at 7 o'clock one morning, a Saturday, when we were evacuating the homes. And I was interviewed. 
and I said, we need help, we need cars, we need trucks to get stuff out of the houses and off the hills so they can start demolishing the homes. In 45 minutes, I had to go back on television to say, please stop coming. (laughs) (laughs) We had so many cars in Bluebird Canyon, we couldn't get a car out of the canyon. That's really cool. I mean, I, I could go. On and on and on. I'll, I'll revise my percentage. It's no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm usually disenfranchised. Yes. And you're talking, yeah, but you're talking the business world today. Yes. yes. And you're talking about what people are doing today, which is very different than what you're talking about, which yeah, is exactly. maybe a little bit in the past, but you're also talking about community, which is awesome. Like, yeah. You wonder today... Hopefully. There's kids. There are young men and women sitting on the beach every day, all summer. And they're looking for somebody that needs help. And when they need help, they're willing to give their lives to help them. I think it's really cool. And those kids are running. They're they're willing to jump into any surf for any person they don't even have a clue as to who they are. So there's just really this, cool. There's yeah. just this dichotomy in my life where maybe it's just that I'm not in the world of trying to cheat and steal. Well, you 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 really have, through the things that you've done. I mean, exemplify you know building God's kingdom in this in this world, right? And teachers helping people, lifeguards helping people. I mean, there's a recurring theme, <laughs> and it's it's neat too that you. You know that you see all of that in in the world, and yeah, it's it's. Um, it hurts I, me when I think that you're living in a life. Where <laughs> it's a these, cold, hard world. There's all these people there. that are trying oh my gosh. to cheat the rest of the world. You know, and I yeah. But at the same time, they're building they're building a world that is quite enjoyable in a lot of ways. I mean, life is really. Quite good. Well, I'll just say one more thing. We can kind of <laughs> yeah. make a, a segue and a transition. Uh-huh. There was an article this morning that came out in the Wall Street Journal just about the um, algorithms within Instagram. And they, you know, followed some gymnasts and things like that. And it, it, it started to kind of, the machine started to serve up all this sexualized content of like, um, you know, essentially like pedophile type, you know, guys looking at, you know, younger girls and things like that. Anyway, and there are a couple of other organizations that have looked at, you know, technologies um, in, in the same way. And, and I think in the, in the technology world, things are just happening so fast. And technology is essentially a way to codify either good or evil, either virtue or vice. But the values of Silicon Valley are, are not virtuous. <laughs> okay. Um, they're, they're filled with vice, and that that vice is being codified into all these products and services that people all across society and all across the world are using, and it's happening at a faster and a faster and a faster pace. Maybe that's the reason I don't carry a phone. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way not to do it. Um, I got one little more thing. When's the last time you decided for yourself what behavior? Well, I absolutely not accept. And what are you willing to do about it? You know, because everything is gray in our world. 
And until you think ahead of time about what is a no-go when somebody else's behavior that's going to influence you, and that unless you think about it ahead of time, I think you're vulnerable because it's, it's, it's setting a value system for yourself based in, in virtue that says, I'm going to insulate myself from these influences, and the only way I can do that is think about it ahead of time of what I will not accept. And that line can never be crossed for me because it's going to be bad for me if I allow that to happen. And it's a very sobering thing. Yeah. So, taking upon what you just said, so what do you think in chapter 8? Go back to chapter 8. You just used a good word. How gray it is. What does chapter 8 that we just read, does it sound gray to Paul? No. What does it sound? It sounds black and white. So, because notice how he gives that contrast. If you're in the flesh, I mean, you just listen to the language. He literally is saying this or this, this or this, okay? And I will say what Paul's doing here in 8, at the beginning, is he is not describing Christians having two states. He's not saying here, Christians are in the flesh or you're in the spirit. Paul is describing two different types of people, Okay? Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. Okay? He's drawing that contrast. So, question for you. Last week I asked, I opened up by asking you what, so this would, would, I'm going to be a little black and white here. I'm not going to be a little black and white. I'm going to be a lot black and white. I opened with the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? I want you to think about what you just read in chapter 8 here. How would you define what a Christian is? From chapter 8 here. So what is a Christian? Living by the Spirit. Okay, Okay. living by the Spirit. Alright, okay. It's a mindset of the Spirit. Mindset of the Spirit. Still say follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus, okay, all right, oh, good, all right. Son of God and co-heir with Christ. (laughs) (laughs) You got that co-heir, all right? (laughs) Co-heir. Son of a king. Anybody else? What is a Christian, according to what we're just reading? Well, it's, 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 it's kind of like a lens through which we're supposed to be living by, it's, you know, we, there's so much talk about the laws here and, and, and being the legalistic ways of, of mm-hmm. what it was before, and being a Christian absolves you from these legalistic ways, but it's it's coming through the lens of being fulfilled by the Spirit of Christ. So, in that, I think it's just not, you're not... You're not keeping score with all of all of those legalistic things, and you're moving forward with the spirit of Christ in okay. you, which, I mean, it didn't okay. exist before that. So. All right. Okay. So I had an interesting, I uh-huh. thought about this, I had an interesting cab ride years ago, like, uh, back in Seattle, and the cabbie was Muslim, and we started talking, and mm-hmm. um, I asked him, so... What's a Christian? And he's like, well, a Christian is a person who follows the Ten Commandments. 
and oh, said, huh. mm, no. Um, <laughs> you know, explain that the Ten Commandments exposes what sin is, but to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and through Jesus, then we receive redemption through that. And it was, he'd never heard that before. Yeah. He'd never heard that before. Um, which is probably true of a lot of people. Right. And so I was, my mind was thinking, okay, if, if somebody just walked up here off the street and we asked them, what's a Christian? Yeah. You know, I don't think they would say, oh, a follower of Jesus. Um, you know. They'd probably say a hypocrite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they might. Yeah. yeah. Or, like in today's culture, you know, more of a political definition, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, when we were at the Neighborhood Festival in Chicago last summer, and somebody had a t-shirt, said, Dear Jesus, please protect me from your followers. I think about... That's a sad commentary. <laughs> I think about that if a non-believer... You know, in my life, in my... People see me as a... Do they see Christianity through me, like based on how I behave, mm-hmm. right? Because it doesn't matter what I say, it's more how I act. It carries more weight. Yeah, Tom. I don't... Just putting some thoughts together, because um, the part of being Christian is knowing that you need a Savior. But a Savior from what? Or to, to what and from what? Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that here... The law, what the law was, the burden of the law was never going to save you. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if the law was pointing you to the fact that you can't do this by yourself. All so, pretty much says that. Yes. And so <laughs> you have to, so I'm going to give you a new law or the Messiah and the whole thing. Um, to rescue you from that burden. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, 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 yeah. I, I'm just putting it together, so I'm just talking. Yeah, about that's good. Uh-huh. Another T-shirt story. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a reunion, and a guy had a T-shirt on that said, uh, "Hey, there's some time for dessert." I asked to be it's made. Time. I asked to be made a better man, so I was given a wife. <laughs> and I think here we could say, I asked to be made a better man, so I was given Christ. Hmm. And so, and I have. I think that's. I put the stud in Bible study. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, what is a what is a Christian according to Paul in Romans eight? What's a Christian? It's the belief that Christ is the Son of God. Okay. He sent here to save us, save us from our sins. Mm-hmm. All right. Believe. Okay. Okay. Good. In chapter 7, you know, we were talking about you know, the way he's acting kind of crazy, like, you know, everything I do, I do, and, and how he's, you know, how sin is with him. Mm-hmm. So I think in chapter 8, we come to the belief that 
he's now avoiding sin through salvation. And the Spirit is having him cry out, Abba, now, to his body. Mm-hmm. Because, because the Spirit says, you know, we are the children. So he's avoiding what was in seven. Because mm-hmm. everything that's bad, he does. Right. Because the problem wasn't with, with the law being holy. It was him. And now he's saying, I don't need it the law. I don't need it. I, I have the Spirit to save me. So, yeah, that's good. So, let's take a look. So, thinking of that question, what is a Christian? So, just look at, um, let's just walk through a couple verses, all right, and sort of think about what Paul's saying. This is what it means to be a Christian. So, first of all, which Ethan brought up, which is our first verse, all right. So, there is now no condemnation, all right. So, a Christian is someone who is... Not condemned. Not con- no longer under condemnation. I think, as you said, I would, I so agree. For us as Christians, that's one of the things I see so pastorally as a pastor. One of the number one things I see the most is people who are Christians still feeling condemned in their lives. Mm. Still feeling they're either condemning themselves or thinking others are condemning them. They're thinking God is still condemning them. But they still experience that condemnation, um, and yet condemns people here, condemn people. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, yes, and that—that's one of the um, what happens when you feel condemned. You end up the victim becomes a victimizer. So, so guilt. Yeah, and Paul's saying here, no, you are no longer under condemnation. Now you're not under condemnation when you are what? There's a con- there's a condition here to not being under condemnation in Christ. In Christ, okay, which really goes, I think, obedience. Well, That's here right. it's not even obedience. It's just that you are in Christ. It's like positionally, and you're positionally in Christ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which which I think comes from what Jim was saying. I think, I think it comes in Christ down. and not be obedient. <laughs> that's that's a, that's boy. That's, that's a question. That's a really good question. Yeah, that's you hold on to that. I'm not going to answer. It. I'm going to answer. Not going to answer. Like it'd be Paul, like James says, faith and works. Can you have faith without works? No, it's dead. Which doesn't mean that work saves you, but it says if you have real faith, you will be obedient. They go they go hand in hand. I think that's a good way to put it. But notice that it says here. Those for those in Christ Jesus. So right there, you're defining that word is used 178 times by Paul. It means, in essence, this is your relationship. This is your <coughs> position. You are in Christ. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. I, I think, but you said Jim probably gets close to that, which is we are ones who follow Christ. But see, the results of being in Christ, you are a follower of Christ. Christ is in you. Christ, yeah, Christ is in you. From John, you always used to say, in, in, in Christ means a relationship with Christ as well, Yes, right? exactly. Exactly what it means. To abide. Yeah. Yes, so I don't want to, yeah. So now, so continue on. So look at what ends up happening here. He says, so there is no condemnation. And just think how stark contrast that, that, see, that feels from the end of Romans 7, 
wretched man that I am. No, you're no longer condemned. You are, okay, you are what? Because the law, and just so you know here, the law is not the Torah here. He's referring to, he's using the word law as more like a principle or a power to contrast a life in the spirit versus a life of sin and death. So he says, because the law, so you're not under condemnation, why? Because the law of the spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. (coughs) Notice I skipped something there. It's not the law, it's not the spirit that sets you free. Who sets you free? Jesus. Jesus. So notice how it says that, because in fact, this version gets it well. Because the law of the spirit of life, pause, in Christ Jesus who has set you free. Okay. So it's almost like you got three sections here. You have the law of the spirit. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus who has set you free. And what has he set you free of? The law of sin and death. So, what is a Christian again? Are, are you under sin and death? No. You've been set free by who? Okay. And how do you know you've been set free? There's no condemnation. Okay. Still figuring it out. You're under grace. <laughs> What'd you say? Still figuring it out. Okay. Uh, Wait, think about that. How do you know you're in Christ? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 10. Uh, okay. That's because his, his, uh, his spirit bears witness to our spirit. Yeah. Okay. So how do you know you're in Christ? Let's try to cut it down even more. Because what? What do you have? You are no longer in condemnation, so you are no longer condemned. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven, and... You now have something you did not have before. Life and peace. Freedom. You what? Life and peace. Yeah. What? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is this is the key thing for Paul. If you are, I would say, if you were to ask Paul, because he actually tells us this in Galatians three, he tells us this here. What is a Christian? It is someone who, through placing their faith in Christ, now has the Spirit living in them. That is, that's the definition of a Christian. A Christian has the Spirit living in them. Period. That happens immediately upon you putting your faith in Christ. It's not the something that some people will say, oh, well, you need to put your faith in Christ. Then somewhere later on the Spirit comes. No. Paul is very explicit. He talks about here. There's no like, you believe, and then somewhere down the road you get the Spirit. It is when you believe... You have the Spirit in you. The evidence that you are a Christian, even though I don't see the Spirit in Gil, is that the Spirit lives in you. You have now been given the gift of the very presence of God that lives in you. That would be... And so if you listen to Paul, so look what he does in verse 3. And watch this transition. He says, For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, which we read in chapter 7. So the law couldn't do it, we couldn't do it, but who did it? God did it. And what did he do? 
He condemns sin. There's condemnation again. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So what did Christ, what, why are we no longer condemned? Because of what Christ did, where? On the, the cross. cross. Okay? So, try to contrast, not contrast, two aspects here. Being a Christian is accepting and putting your faith in Christ who did something <laughs> in the past. He died on the cross for you. Okay? Now, a lot of us, as Christ, a lot of Christians just leave it at that. You ask them, what's a Christian? Or, why are you a Christian? Christ died on the cross for me. Yes. But yes. The Holy Spirit. But, exactly. Because notice what Paul does here. This is so key to our Christian life. He doesn't just end there. He says, why did God, why did Christ die on a cross for you? Yes, so you're no longer condemned. Yes, so your sins are no longer forgiven. But that's not what Paul says here. He does say that. But he says, in order that Christ died on a year without this, Christ died on the cross, in order that, verse 4, that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us. In other words, we don't have to fulfill that anymore. That is fulfilled. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, Christ died for you in order, so this gets to your question, well, what about obedience? In order that you now have the Spirit living in you, so you now live by the Spirit. You no longer live by the flesh. <clears throat> Which, going back to John, is what, Very good. what Jesus was telling the disciples... In the whole... In John 14 through 16. Yeah. Exactly. You guys remember in John 14 through 16, this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 14 through 16. When I go away, and I go to the cross, I'm not leaving you alone. I am going to go to the cross, so now the very presence of me can live in you because that sin has been forgiven. Do we get that? <laughs> okay. Be filled with the Spirit and act like a co-heir. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be filled with the Spirit and act like a what? Co-heir. Co-heir. So there's two sides here. Notice how Paul talks. There's two sides of a Christian life. There is what Christ has done for you, and that is now living in the Spirit to live out that life in you. We need both. If we just say, oh, we're saved, and we just keep trying to live on our own, then we're living by the law, and we can't do it. He's given us the Spirit, so we live a life that we can say no to sin. We can be co-heirs. We can not be the ones that are the hypocrites. <laughs> That's, you see that? We're given this gift of the Spirit, so we live out what Christ has done for us. You need both sides. There's no, oh, well, I have the Spirit, but I don't need what Christ did for me. And there's no, oh, well, Christ died on the cross for me, but now I'm just waiting for my ticket to heaven. 
and I can't live this life. I continue to live a life of sin because I no longer, I don't live according to the spirit that Paul says is now in us. And so we keep living by the flesh. And some churches either yes. pick, pick one or the other, exactly. or hyper one, hyper the other. Yeah. And the Christian faith, the Christendom, has had a whole lot of problems with this. Because we tend to do exactly what he said. We tend to have churches that focus on, okay, like, um, um, I'll, I'll say if it's okay. <laughs> I'll make a little judgment here. But, like, you look at a church like MacArthur's church. He's going to focus very much more on Christ and dying on the cross and all that. And yeah. you might hear the Spirit spoken about, but you that's about it. There's not real life. What's life in the Spirit? What is that? What does that even mean? Christ died on the cross. Grab onto who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Okay. But what about the Spirit that now gives me that life to be able to live that way? Or... You go to a charismatic Pentecostal, I'm being very extreme here for generalization, just for a second, okay? Or you go to a very hyper-Pentecostal charismatic church, and they're talking about the spirit this and the spirit that, and the spirit lives this and the spirit lives that, and everything's by the spirit, and you never hear Jesus preached. You never hear about the cross. It's all about the gifts of the spirit and the miracles of the spirit and stuff. So we tend to be Christian we tend, the church even has struggled to try to keep both of these in balance. And that's what Paul's doing in chapter 8 here. He's saying, there's two sides. <laughs> you have to have both. You have to know what Christ has done for you. And you can never forget that and learn more and more what Christ has done. Because when you know what he's done, you now can live that out. But you only live that out by the Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah Eric. I would submit that because we have a sin nature, there's a battle that's constantly going on that we have to fight. Yes. And the Holy Spirit helps us continue to win that battle. And so what helps us win, and that's our faith. Mm -hmm. The faith is the bedrock that, that helps us bring the Holy Spirit in to help us keep winning the battle against ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reality that I find in my life is that it's a constant battle and things that seem to be really good when you think about it, you know, well, why am I thinking this? And, oh, shoot, you know, they, they want me to buy this product. You know? yeah. 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 And it's getting back to those values again. But um, without the Holy Spirit, we're going to lose the battle every time. Right. Well, I, I do think, uh, you know, what's the point of seven? The seven does describe that battle, and we can mm -hmm. still fall back into that mm -hmm. battle. But candidly, like, the victory has already been won. Yeah. Right? Like, if we <clears throat> receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, we can live victoriously. We don't have to live... Through faith. ...in a constant battle. Right. Um, that's exactly right. Although that's easier said than done. And I, I took my envelope, you know, lived victoriously and I, I went, I left with that mindset and I don't know that the last couple of weeks since I saw you has been, you know, totally victorious, but yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep giving it a go. So I want you just to hear, hear what Scott just said, because that's the, what you're talking about now. This, this is the crux of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is how do we do this? And so Paul, listen to what Paul says. It's really just really taking what you just said. So verse five, 
It says, For those who live according to the flesh have the mind set on things of the flesh. I think Scott did a really, really good job of describing yes. the flesh today. All right? But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those of you who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you you however are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. So listen to this. So it comes down to how do we do this? Notice what Paul says. Set your mind. Mindset. What are you putting your mind on? And he says, here's the contrast. So, is your mind set on things of the spirit? Or your mind set on things of the flesh? If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, then you're going to live by the flesh, and you will die. (laughs) In other words, you're not going to get anywhere. If you put your mind on the Spirit, then you will have live by the Spirit. So there's something we do with this, but we have to set our minds on it. And I would actually say, that's why we're here. Well, this, this we're helps. We're here to set our, to know yeah. how to say, let's set our minds on Christ. Yeah. And it, and it needs to be carried through like every day. Right. Every day. You exactly. have to set your mind. Exactly. Not just every day. It's every, every, every hour. Hour, every, every minute. minute. Yes. Right? You have to, but I mean, certainly starting to... each day, yeah. right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, just starting each day. Like, it's easy to go and look at Twitter and the Wall Street Journal. I mean, that's kind of like, you know. That's really? A, it's an I'm easier sorry, routine than, than... <laughs> Maybe right. him, but not us. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, not. yeah. yeah Tom. Yeah. When he says to, to do that, it, it, it's assuming that we have the ability to. Because it's a command. It is. To do it. Now, is it the Spirit encouraging you into that? Or, or is that just really, you know, daily application? You know, I mean, or if I'm just saying, you know what, I'm going to set my mind on the Spirit. And this is just a rhetorical question. But mm-hmm. um, it tells me that I have the capability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just keeping your... It's knowing yeah. the consequences of the alternative. And, yeah, how, how but we're also, I think, well, I'm guessing that because we're, incur- the Spirit encourages us. Yes. And convicts us. Yes. yes. And convicts right. us. Because yeah. <laughs> well, you can get back into a performance trap, too. It's yes. kind of where you're headed, right? Like, there's, yeah. there's, that's just more performance. Yeah. So that's, so here's the, here's, in a sense, I'm going to say very quickly, this is part of the reason why I'm having us start in chapter 8. Because we wouldn't have known this if we start in chapter 1 and start working our way until we get to 8. So, we're at 8 now. The, what Paul's telling us is we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Ultimately, the things of the Spirit are Christ, is Jesus. What has he done? Who is he? All right. Paul continues to go back and forth to say, Spirit, the Spirit is here for, remember, and John, going back to John 14 and through 16, 
Jesus says, the reason why I'm bringing the Spirit is not so you can just sort of do whatever you want to and go, woo. I'm bringing the Spirit so it, the Spirit will bring remembrances to who I am and what I've done for you. So yeah. the more we set our minds on Christ and what He has done for us, the more that we are living by that mindset. But what the are the things of the Spirit? The things of the Spirit are virtue. Whatever well, is good, whatever is lovely. Exactly I mean, you know, and, right. what, and what is good and lovely is ultimately Christ. Yes. Okay. So that's why now we are in eight. We are now going to go do that. This is what we're going to go now in the next few weeks. We're going to go from eight... And we're going to set our minds on Christ, and we're going to go back to chapter 5, which is where Paul starts this whole process of setting our minds on who Christ is. And we're going to start at 5 and work our way back up to 8, because we want to because we want to do that to set our minds on Christ. So if you say, how do I do that? I'm giving you a really good example. <coughs> go and read 5 through 7. Go and read well, 5 through 7, 6. Go and read 5 through 6. That's where we're going to focus on, because this is where Paul really gets at, this is who Christ is. This is who he is. Set your mind on him, and watch what the Spirit will do in you, so you're not setting your mind on the flesh. You gave us this book to do that, (laughs) Uh but you also gave us another book. Called Screw Tapes Letters. Yeah, which, which does is <laughs> not only do we have the Holy Spirit banging on the side of our head, we have Screw Tape Letters over here banging on the other <laughs> side of my head <laughs> of all time. So yeah, it, I love that book. So it gets down to <coughs> what my mother wrote in her Bible that I found when she died was if you make good choices, life may go well, but not always. <laughs> If you make poor choices, your life will probably get more difficult. It's real simple. It's the choices we're making as to which one of these we're following. Are we, and that's where we're listening to the Holy Spirit? Are we listening right. to... Exactly. Exactly. So I want you to think again. Those, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <coughs> so we went from chapter 7 to Mosaic Law, and now yes. we're talking about the Spirit. So what... When we look back at chapter 7, what happened to God's covenant with the Jews? So I want you to... Okay. So you, that question, we will answer when we get to 9 through 11. You know, and there's so many surprising things in 9 through 11. And there is. And actually, 9 through 11 was taken out by some Christians in the centuries in the past because they did not want to deal with the fact that the Jews... That God still has a plan for the Jews. Nine through eleven answers your question, and we will. And I'm not. Okay, not gonna, and I'm sorry. Get it? Yeah, but, we, but I don't know that. Answer. And so what I guess I'm asking is, mm-hmm. did eight just we forgot about them? Did, did what? In eight, we just forgot about them. No, no, no. You're not forgetting about the Jews at all. But what's interesting is what ha- what follows eight. <laughs> this is why we're starting at eight, because what follows eight is nine through eleven. What about the Jews? But before you answer what is about the Jews, we need to go back to 5 through 6 that talks about who Christ is. Because the answer about what happens with the Jews has everything to do with Jesus. And I think, I mean, so without getting too much, so one of the things I want to do 
is when we go through 9, 11, 9 through 11, we as Christians have a responsibility to know biblically what is going on in the world right now, too. And what's great when we hit 9 through 11 is we will get to focus on biblically what is the answer to your question. These are so much. Just you say Jews, you say Palestinians, you say all the stuff these days. And, I mean, one thing we always have to remember is Galatians 3.28. In Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. Okay. In Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, there is no master or slave. In Christ, we are all one in Christ. But there is an answer to the question, what about the Jews? And that's why Paul answers that question in Romans. And when we get to Romans 9 through 11, we will see for ourselves what is it the, the Bible saying versus what <laughs> everything else in the world is saying. Okay, but we're going to have to wait a little bit to get there. Right now, what we're going to do is go back to 5 and really focus on who Christ is because that we need to know before we hit 9 through 11. So, I want you to think as we go through, again, our whole, our whole focus is set our minds, mindset of the what? Spirit. How do we do that? We put our minds and set our minds on what Christ, who he is and what he's done. And we never give up on that. So two sides of a coin, right? Christ, notice how Paul did this here. It's what Christ has done. I love someone. Christ does it. He did it in the past on the cross. The spirit is now what does it in us to live that out. We need to know both of those, all right? And so that's what we're going to really focus on as we go through. So I told you, and then I'll let you make talk. So I told you that we put all of seven here, right? We ripped it up. No longer. We are now in the spirit, not in the flesh. So what's going to replace this? So I'm going to give you something to remind you to put your mind on the spirit. To replace with this, okay? So, this is for each one of you. This is a coin. Two sides. One side, it doesn't have Jesus, but think of Christ as one side. The other side has a bird, okay, an eagle. Think spirit. Think that we need both. We need to focus on, to be in the spirit and mindset of spirit, we put our focus on Christ. To live out what Christ has done, we do it through the Spirit. We need both sides of that coin. You guys can hold on to this. This is, I've not seen these for a while. I think this is a reminder so when you're thinking, okay, where's my mindset? <laughs> like a tune. Is that Susan are they all 79? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're, are they different dates? They might be different dates. This is 99. So you guys can hold on to this and take it this week. Like what Scott was saying, it's hard during the week, right? He said every minute or whatever. Keep this with you and just think, when you're thinking, where am I putting my mind? Your, your goal is... Keep putting back on Christ. Go and read chapters 5 and 6. Go and read chapters 5 and 6. Go and read 5 and 6. Go and read 5 and 6. And then we're going to start going through 5 and 6 to really get the fullness 
of who is this Christ who did it, so I can live that out through the Spirit who does it in me. Okay? All right? Yes, Eric. In the pilot world, there's a lot of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And so, one of the phrases we have is, just give me the gouge. The gouge is, after everything is said and done, what do I need to know? And forget all the folder roll that leads up to that nitty-gritty. And so what occurs to me is I hang on to things that are something that's simple that I can remember that works for me. And so there's a phrase in the Bible that says, what is required of you? To love mercy, to do justly, and walk humbly with the Lord. So why should I love mercy? I should love mercy because I have been forgiven. And what's the lesson is? The lesson is I need to give mercy to my fellow man because unless I can give mercy to my fellow man and forgive them, my world will shrink because I'll hold something against everybody around me. God didn't come to break relationships. He came to solidify relationships. So mercy is really important. To do justly. To do justly are walking with ethics and standards that are sacred to me, that are unviolatable, that keep me on the path. And so what helps me do that is to walk humbly with my Lord. Unless I have respect for his position in my life and his authority and what he did for me, I can't do the other two. So it's a simple way of just pulling it together that makes real sense. And the more and the more we read, I'm going to say the, that's why we're in the Word. Because the more we read what we're going to be reading about who Jesus is, the more we get that in us, so we then will then walk according to how He walked. We can never get that out. So I can't go to my wife and say, well, honey, I don't really need to tell you I love you anymore. I don't really need to tell you to tell me how you feel about things anymore. I already know. Okay? We could never do that. But we do that with Jesus all the time. We think, oh, I know what he says in Romans 5 through 6. I don't need to read it again. We need to just soak ourselves in Christ. Soak ourselves in Christ. Because then the Spirit can live that out in us. So you need both. Both of them. So. Alright. Can I announce the height? Yes. I'll do this quickly. So I was laughing at you guys when I listened to the podcast because everyone, Ken said that he's gonna, he wanted to remind you of the hike. He's in Las Vegas and everybody's going like, where's it at again? So somebody said, um, it's, I think they're gonna start at Ben. No, they're gonna start somewhere at the end of the, at El Toro. No, it's Marfay. And I was laughing. I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope they don't all go there because they're all in the wrong spot. It's Willow. Yeah. And, and you know, you it's guys... The, it's the exit, right, I mean, it's the entrance right before El Toro, right? Before, right? right right across to Manalese. Yeah. Uh, it's $3 parking, and we have such a wonderful time. We didn't have a big crowd. Well, when are you doing that? Uh, it's the 9th. That's right. I'm getting there. It's the 9th <laughs> at 8 o'clock. I got night vision. 9th at 8 o'clock. I had um, three people over 60, one 35-year-old, one 4-year-old, one 7-year-old, and we did six miles. We, we were planning on doing three, but they wanted to go further. And we did Lizard in the Caves, and we went down to uh, the dry waterfall. I made some Vietnamese coffee and green tea. Nice. It was spectacular. It was all done within two hours. So 9 o'clock, I mean 8 o'clock on the 9th 
I'm going to try to do it every two weeks, but I'd love to have you guys out there. I did the uh, tripping. I did the. Uh, I did car wreck, and I hadn't done it in ten years. Car wreck. pretty gnarly, and I did. I did a pretty gnarly one that I wasn't really prepared for, but my buddy was in shape, so I just followed him. I did the uh, the caves down yeah, in Alisa, and that was good. It's, the down was challenging, and the uphill was much worse. I like doing the uphill first and cruising down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're good. All right, I'm going to close with um, Hebrews, which sort of, again, gives us these two sides of the coins we just talked about. This is the benediction from Hebrews 13. It says this for all of us. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Mm. And all of the God's men said, Amen. Amen. Amen.